Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Adjust Your Lenses podcast. Today is yet another great day for you to be joining me. As always, I am your host. My name is Samuel. I'm here to speak with you as we unpack, uncover, and discover truths. Then we restore, replenish, and rebuild each other as we continue to do what? Adjust our lenses. (laughs) Today is already a great day because you are here listening. I invite you to do a quick self-check of where your lens is right now and consider what is influencing your line of sight and vision. All right, let's get to it. The day after I learned about Micaiah Bryant, I was bothered. The place where we are and were specifically as a nation as the Derek Chauvin trial unfolded and the verdict came down, the air was thick. And usually I heard little to nothing about it. Uh, maybe that was just, you know, me and the spaces I was in, which intentionally have been much more protected these days. I wasn't really watching and reading for it like that. See, most of most of that was really because of my own mental and emotional, but you know, really was because I I remember watching the George Zimmerman trial, and uh, let's just say that uh that not guilty verdict did more to remind me of what being a black person in America actually meant than anything I've read in any book or learned in any class. So I was expecting the same or some form of nonsense to come from it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I would say I was pleasantly surprised at the verdict. Shocked, actually. I mean, the fact that I was shocked says more than anything else. I expect so little from the justice system in favor of black and brown people. And that's not from anything short of my experience. See, but the other part of that, though, um, the actual more important part of that was that I knew that even as that verdict was being rendered, there was likely another life being taken needlessly by police and yeah i was right reading more about the whole makai bryant situation see the verdict was actually literally being rendered literally being rendered like it came across on the police radio in the car that pulled up there were three police cars that pulled up the second one pulled up only like a minute or so after the officer that actually shot makai And the verdict was actually coming through his radio when she took four bullets to her chest, shot to death, just a minute or two before Derek Chauvin's verdict was rendered. So to say that I had mixed feelings about that day was... uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm actually not sure how I felt, actually. The next day, though, I remember I was kind of like going through it in the morning. I just took out my phone and I wrote this little piece right here. Listen. She was 16. She probably had a few thoughts about the future, but mostly lived in the present. She probably laughed at the Gorilla Glue girl that went viral and thought it was silly. She probably had a crush on a boy in school or maybe one down the street. 
She probably had to wait on rides to get to the mall just to be outside. She probably didn't see the base. She probably didn't like the basic masks. She probably knew somebody that died from COVID-19. She probably couldn't wait to drive. She probably laughed a lot. She probably felt scared. She probably knew that she what she was going to eat for dinner. She probably didn't know she wouldn't get to. She probably listened to music. She probably danced in a mirror to her favorite songs using a brush as a microphone. She probably slept in too late on weekends. She probably missed her favorite teachers. She probably thought about college. She probably loved her friends and family. She probably prayed. She probably talked to her cousins. She probably stayed up too late. She probably ate fast food. She probably ate at home. She probably listened to stories from her aunts and uncles. She probably did her homework. She probably didn't. She probably found a way to survive through the trauma of this pandemic. Only for her to struggle for her last breath when she cried for help. Ode to the OG Langston Hughes, the originator of the concept, the movement, the linguistic artistry of the timeless poetic gift, a dream deferred. See, Langston wrote about it something more like this. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink? like rotten meat, or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet. Maybe it just sags, heavy load. Or does it explode? Today's topic title is really a dream deferred. Because we're not at a point where we've actually become desensitized to We've normalized the idea, the ideology, that it's okay for our kids' dreams to be deferred. See, Micaiah's age had a lot to do with where this came from because I'm an eternal optimistic. That's just how I am. That's it, period. (laughs) I believe, like I truly believe. And call me naive for believing but I don't live to exist. I exist to live, and I can only truly live by believing. So, I'm starting this simply by saying, stop killing us. No, 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 for real. Stop killing us. It's disgusting what this has become, and it's infuriating to know that those people seemingly sleep well at night knowing they just took a life and because white supremacy protects them, they'll overwhelmingly be good. Like they'll get off and not have to worry about nothing. If anything, they actually end up better. Money, funds are being raised from, you know, GoFundMe pages and all that, lots and lots, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 including your neighbors, you know. (laughs) Yep, your son's little girlfriend whose parents don't like black people, yeah, yeah, they're contributing to that GoFundMe page. Yep, that colleague at work that you share a cubicle with, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, he or she probably contributes to it. You know, those people that you make small talk with in an elevator in your apartment building or at work, yep, mm-hmm, the one in the carpool too, yeah, 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 you know, 
when outside opens up, y'all been making those plans to link up and get up with them old friends? Yeah. And guess what? The ones at your church too? You know? Praising God together? Yeah, yeah. You might want to check them too. Oh, 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 oh. Don't let me get started on the folk of color that's on it because we all know all kin folk ain't skin folk. I mean, did you see Samuel L. Jackson's character in Django? <laughs> Bump all that. Let's be clear. System of policing is working exactly as it was designed. See, when I started this podcast, man, I promised y'all historical context, present day manifestations, future implications. That's the podcast. You know what I mean? That's the framework. That's the juice behind it. So let's take a little trip down memory lane real quick. See, policing wasn't really a formal thing in the 13 colonies, like, because basically, you know, those colonies operated like 13 small countries. Each of them did their own thing. But the short version is that they all had some type of way to apprehend thieves and criminals and bring them to justice. Then comes the enslaved Africans on the widely accepted date of 1619, Jamestown, Virginia, yada, yada, yada. We get it. Whether that date is actually truly, truly accurate, mm, I don't know. I mean, it's possible that there were enslaved Africans that have arrived before 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia. So for the sake of this, though, we're just going to say it is. All right. Okay. Now, because only white men who owned land could basically do anything in those 13 colonies. And if you weren't a white man, you basically had no rights. And if you're a white woman, even if you were a white woman, right? So the enslaved Africans that were forcibly removed and carried across the Atlantic Ocean didn't have no rights. I'm sure you already knew that. If you didn't know that, now you know. Now, I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that not a single black person in this nation had any legal rights until 1863. Do the math. Don't worry. I'm going to do something for you. And we know that itself wasn't really a thing because... Reconstruction, then deconstruction, because, yeah, I said deconstruction, because any little semblance of progress was met with force in so many different ways, including physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual force to negate all forms of progress. Oh, you done doing the math? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guessed it. 1619, 1863, mm, give or take 250 years. So, like I was saying, any progress is met immediately by resistance. So, yeah, I don't expect this to be different. I talked about how body cans are supposed to be the answer, right? Well, I think we've all kind of found out by this point. They're not. Why? Why do you ask? Racism don't care about no body cams. It doesn't care about any measures you place on it other than accountability and justice. And justice is a far away place. But we're still talking about equality in most circles. Haven't even gotten to equity conversations. And man, oh man, when will we begin to talk about justice? Right now, to me, justice feels like the three lifetimes away. Oh, y'all think I'm tripping, right? I mean, two to three lifetimes, that's a long time. Now, listen, here's what I'm saying. Equality is everybody getting the same thing y'all know me and my definitions <laughs> okay let me give you an example 
So let's say I'm a new driver, right? I just got my license. I get the same exact insurance rate as my older brother who's been driving for like 15, 20 years. No issues, no problems. You know what I mean? Nothing, all right? And then we both get the same exact insurance rate as somebody who has had 13 accidents. Okay, okay, okay. 13 is not an exact number, obviously. And yes, I'm sure if you... Okay, y'all get it, right? <laughs> I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but yeah, if we all were to get all get the same exact insurance rate, right? Terms and all that, you know what I mean? That would seem preposterous, right? Right? Wouldn't it? Because I remember a little something, something about risk management. <laughs> Shout out to TU All Day, Er Day, Fox School of Business, Temple University, my alma mater, risk management class. <laughs> it taught us that calculated risk is part of the um, determinant factor on how we assess the terms of the principal interest and number of years anyone has to pay for anything. Okay, maybe you didn't get to business school or you didn't go to business school, right? But what I'm saying in this example is that the person who ain't never had no accidents and has experience driving should be getting a much better rate than a new driver with no experience, right? Because do we even know that they're a good driver? Because if they just started driving, we don't know what they're going to do, right? And for sure, the person who's been in all 13 of them accidents why would I be paying the same thing as you? That's what we sound like when we say equality. That makes no sense. Not when the foundation itself was built on everything but equal. It's in the Constitution. The proof is there. Three-fifths of a human. They wrote it. They, they signed it. They delivered it. So equality doesn't make a whole lot of sense now, does it? Nope, it doesn't. It never did. So why would we say, why would we say it like it did? Why do we talk about it like it does? Okay. Now, equity. Equity is everybody getting what they need. As much of it as they need, right? With all barriers to their progress removed in order for them to actually self-actualize. Y'all remember, you know, for those who listen, shout out to y'all. <laughs> Self-actualization is the very top of the pyramid, right? On Maslow's hierarchy, right? That's basically, you've already gotten your needs met at the other four levels, and now you're at the top. You're able to self-actualize. So that means that they get to do whatever they want, not what they've been told they have to do. That means success isn't being measured by white standards, white supremacist standards, Eurocentric standards, but by how you experience life, are satisfied by life, are how happy you are, and filled with joy regardless. So you got to understand. That's why you see a lot of people sometimes who are in, quote unquote, poor or impoverished situations, right? But they're happy. That's why we could talk about, quote unquote, third world countries, and you see them kids be happy and dancing and having fun, right? Because... It's really not about how much you have. It's about how you perceive life based on where you are and what you have access to. See, us folk in these uh, northern cities, <laughs> especially those of us in the East Coast, right? We think the world revolves around us. And um, newsflash, newsflash, it doesn't. Not at all. Why am I going into all this? Because dreams are being deferred in ways we don't truly comprehend due to inequality, inequity, and a lack of justice. 
So you can't understand this if you haven't even started to adjust your lenses. You see, the thing that makes justice feel like two to three lifetimes away for me is that the white moderate want to maintain the status quo. A very, very popular and um, quotable <laughs> uh, politician, I won't name her name, she thanked George Floyd for sacrificing his life. Sacrifice? Sacrifice is being suffocated to death in the most gruesome way while you calling for your mama? Saying, I can't breathe? How disgusting is that? That man didn't sacrifice his life. He was murdered. By murderers in police uniforms. Period. How do we deal with dreams deferred? Since 2011, 127 black men and women have been murdered by police. And that's not a finite number. That's just what we know. See, I'm sure that the number is greater and potentially much, much greater. Okay, I need to throw a couple concepts at this for y'all. In a society that's supposed to be progressing, where human beings live, right? It's not normal for parents to be burying their kids. It's supposed to be the other way around. And yet, Throughout this whole police brutality thing that we've been talking about, that's something that we've become accustomed to with police brutality. I don't understand. And I don't think people actually understand. We've allowed ourselves and we're allowing ourselves to normalize parents bearing their children. Which part of that is normal? Since last week alone, when the Derek Chauvin verdict dropped, We've already learned about Andrew Brown, a 42-year-old Jersey City man from North Carolina who was shot in the back of the head, executed by the sheriff's department while they were serving him a warrant. In the back of the head? Who's the thugs? Who's the gangsters? When did that become a death sentence? And Adam Toledo, 13 years old, chased down by police in Chicago and killed within seconds. He apparently had a gun, but was like tossing it or had already tossed it behind a fence and was putting his hands up when the officer shot him. And of course, we're still talking about Dante Wright. He got pulled over because he supposedly had expired tags or, you know, air freshener or something like that. Right. That 20 year old man, emphasis on 20 year old young man, young man called his mother because he was scared he dropped the phone or the phone dropped and his mother was hearing a scuffle his mother was hearing the scuffle that ensued as her son was about to be shot and killed he told his mom he was scared and a 20 plus year old veteran of the police force could not understand the difference between her taser and a loaded gun? I've been to the gun range. I know how much weight or how heavy a loaded gun is. And yes, I've carried a taser. I don't need 20 plus years in the police department to know the difference.
I mean, are you serious? I mean, for real. Now we have Makai Bryant, 16 years old. Apparently, she's the actual one that called the cops because she felt under threat. She called them. And she had a knife, supposedly, because she was trying to defend herself. A kitchen knife. And her death came about because she and her sisters were arguing about who's going to clean the house? Do you know how many times siblings, my siblings, me and my siblings have argued about cleaning up? Like, I can't even begin to imagine that turning into my death. My siblings' death. Like, how has we become, how has, how has this become so normalized? Okay, you know what? The reason actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It never actually matters. Because we've seen the situation after situation where white people actually obstruct justice, <laughs> refuse to be arrested, fight back the police. Yes, I said that. Fight back. I've seen the videos. I've watched them. We've all seen them. Fight back the police and go home to their families with little to no consequences, unscathed, and a finger laid on them. So we know the issue is not the reason why. It's really just that simple. This should never happen. So when you hear Black Lives Matter, what do you hear? <laughs> do you hear Dream Deferred? Do you hear the person who discovered the cure for cancer, HIV, diabetes? Do you hear a Supreme Court justice? Do you hear the person who figured out how to make batteries that maybe don't need a recharge? Do you hear the person who created the technology that all you have to do is blink and the phone takes a picture? Do you hear the professor that changes a kid's life that was about to drop out of college? Do you hear the college and career counselor who makes that phone call that a kid got into the number one's choice for college, the number one school that they wanted to go to, or got into that technical program that's going to make sure that they get into a career after college or after high school? Do you hear the lawyer that argues in front of Supreme Court, the cases that change laws for the entire nation? Do you hear the sculptor, the painter, the designer? Do you hear the dream deferred? Makaya's dream isn't just about her. It's about every other kid whose dream was deferred because their life was cut short due to the complete justification of the devaluation of black lives since the inception of this nation. I told y'all already, miss me with the black on black crime nonsense. Y'all love the Sopranos, Godfather, all the mob and mafia movies, shows, organized crime and all that. And y'all want to romanticize it. Talk all about Snowfall and Snowfall is such a good show and it's so cool and all this other stuff. Yeah, just because the basis of these are of white people. But when it's black people, then it's hood, it's ghetto, right? Then there's something wrong with it. All of that is just an example of how all black people are being codified to say that they are violent thugs. And all we know is that that's intentional. So now... Keep that same energy for everybody. See, now, I don't condone any violence whatsoever. None at all. And I believe it's very important that we go hard against that. 
We can't allow it any longer. So don't talk to me about Ray Ray and them. I don't want to hear it. Ray Ray and them going to jail. And they won't get 10 years like Amber Gaga did. They won't get their hair brushed and combed in court and a Bible given to them. They won't get special protection and sympathy. They get treated as subhuman. We never hear their names. How many more dreams are we willing to be allowed to be deferred? How many more parents are we going to cry and watch cry over their children because of police brutality? How much more will we bury? How many more will bury their children the way Mamie Till had to? If we've decided that we do not have to preserve black lives, then we've decided that we're okay with the consequences that come with such choices. I can't stress this enough. There are consequences for this. And justice is an inevitable action. See, it may not be in my lifetime. I mean, sure, I hope it is. And I hope and pray it is. In fact, because I believe God, I believe that his time is the best time. And I know that justice is not as far ahead as I believe it to be or maybe think it might be. See, I believe that we will begin to experience displays of justice the more black parents have to bury their sons and daughters because both things are indications of a society that has become backwards in its morality and stiff-necked in the deplorable excuses it makes preserves racism and white supremacy. <laughs> the hardened hearts that show up in the news coverage, whoo, Lord have mercy. And the criminalization of black boys and black girls to reinforce the image and the adultification of young black kids is a part of the problem. I mean, how have we gotten to the point where we've basically made it okay to treat young black kids as adults? And we are okay with that. Like, think about it. It doesn't matter how young they are. We're like, oh, oh, well, I mean, but, 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 nah, stop it. If you see a 12-year-old playing with a toy gun and you don't see a child, instead you see a man and you shoot him before you even get out of your car, then your heart has been hardened. Let's be clear. I'm using this term, uh, hardened heart on purpose, <laughs> you know, because there are grave and severe consequences for a hardened heart. This whole, well, I don't know what came over me. I mean, you know, it was an adrenaline rush and, you know, I was just, um, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought rhetoric that we've made acceptable to make ourselves believe that there's some justification for these occurrences in the same way we would say someone has gone mad, right? See, going mad doesn't just mean having to go into the insane asylum, like, or having some sort of genetic or some kind of chemical imbalance, right? And it, it doesn't only mean the electrical waves aren't connecting. It doesn't just mean that there are some kind of chromosomal crossings in certain places and that have created some issues in, in, in your body. Like, it doesn't just mean that there's a biological and physiological issue. Nah, it also means that we can grow accustomed to the hearing, I can't breathe. Watch it, see it, hear it, process it, feel it in our bones. Then just be like, well, I mean, if he was saying I can't breathe, then clearly he can breathe. Like. I actually heard that. I heard somebody say that. 
Listen up, people. Listen up, people. We are living in a society where we're basically allowing those hardened hearts to be the loudest voices. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, it's not like we don't already know this, right? Of course we do. We know this. We've been known this. What are we going to do about it? See, I'm going hard in the middle here on purpose. Makaya Bryant's dream is over. Everything she ever thought she could be will not happen. It's over. There's no coming back from death. The desensitized nature of our collective responses is seeping into all of our pores and getting through the thick layers of cells and going into our bloodstreams through our veins. It's going through the bone and settling there, creating all types of cancerous cells, turning our hearts into stone. Okay, Sammy. Okay, okay, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, big guy. All that because one kid got murdered? Yeah. All that. Because one kid got murdered. And that one kid, that's your kid. That's my kid. That's our kid. Our kid. Our daughter. Our present. Our future. Our hope, our dream, our pain, our struggle, our joy, our happiness, our laughter, our tears. If we can't allow our kids to be murdered and still no measures of accountability are taken, then we've basically said we don't care about our society being completely backwards and up, upside down. This was never about politics for me. It's definitely not about politics now. Though it seems to have become inseparable from the political renderings we all continue to hear. This is about society turning on its head. This is implosion from within. This is the beginning of woes. You know, like old English woe onto thee. W O E. <laughs> Not Whoa, like W H O A, whoa. <laughs> not that's not that's my whoa, or that's not my whoa, whatever, however the kids say it. But whoa, like W O E, whoa. So I say this. Oh, before I start, this may be a good time for you to do a pulse check. If after the following things you hear, you decide this is too much for you, then so be it. I'm not going to lay down my voice for black lives for your feelings. And I'm not going to not tell my truth for your feelings. I'm not not speaking truth to power for your feelings. I realize that this topic is hard for some people to swallow. But I'd be remiss if I didn't share that. What I see coming on the horizon, if this doesn't stop, isn't pretty. I wish no harm on anyone any group, period. I'm not God. I have no heaven or hell to put you in. The only thing I can do is focus on my walk with God and speak my truth. I am not judging anyone specifically. I'm judging reprehensible actions that we all know should not be happening, let alone normalized. I'm actually not judging the institution of policing, believe it or not, because my belief in God is such that I believe Actually, <laughs> this is one of my favorite scriptures, right? It says, what the enemy meant for evil, God has worked it out for my good. I'm going to repeat that one more time. 
for the people in the back. What the enemy meant for evil, God has worked it out for my good. So even if something like the way policing came about as a way to capture enslaved Africans and bring them back to their masters to continue enslaving, raping, pillaging, destroying their mind and their body, subjugating, humiliating, and dehumanizing them. That something as intentionally destructive as that can change into something positive. I believe that. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. You're probably wondering, does he actually believe that? Yes, I do. Because if I don't, then I don't believe in God's power. Then I don't actually believe Jesus came to die on the cross for the whole world. Then I don't actually believe Jesus has washed away my sins, my sins, and continues to renew a right spirit within me. Then I don't actually believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. So yeah, I actually believe that. And because I believe that, that is why we have to actually understand and also understand that when something like this continues to happen, what it's saying is that we like it the way it is, and it doesn't need to change. It has to remain the destructive, racist, white supremacist institution that it currently is. Samuel, why aren't you talking more about the positive things that are happening? Why are you doubling down on this? Why are you going so hard on this? We get it. We get it. It's because it hasn't stopped, and until it does, some of us don't rest. Some of us don't rest. So to all that, I say the following. Not in judgment, because I cannot judge. It's more like a series of alerts. Yeah, 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 alerts. <laughs> I like that, actually. That's what they are. Alerts for the stiff-necked and the hardened hearts on this issue. Woe unto thee who sees Children being murdered at the hands of police and counted as nothing. Woe unto thee that are watching black and brown fathers and mothers bury their children at the hands of police and counted as nothing. Woe unto thee that see the tears of mothers crying over their sons and daughters and counted as nothing. Woe unto thee that defend these actions rather than put pressure on those who commit these atrocities and those who back them. Woe unto thee who have the power and privilege to do something, but don't see it as your fight. Be careful. It soon might be. Woe unto thee who scoff, laugh, and dismiss it on your airwaves as a farce, something made up, some type of illusion or delusion, some type of complaint, some type, something to deride, to mock, and to devalue. I think that one pretty much kind of covers it all sums it up right at least most of it i guess i don't know i'm sure i left a whole bunch of stuff out but you get it see but i hope i pray that some of this even if just a little bit has sunk in for you because at the end of the day this is not a losing battle it's a war that's worth fighting it is the war for the soul of a nation with so much promise and potential. And it is a war that can be won. Thank you again for joining me on the Adjust Your Lenses podcast. It is always a pleasure to have you. 
I am honored and humbled by everybody who listens. <laughs> I look forward to hearing your feedback and your comments. Please, please, please hit that subscribe button. I invite you to keep adjusting your lenses as we continue on this journey to unpack, uncover, and discover truths and to restore, replenish, and rebuild each other. Until next time, peace and love.